You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, turning your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 3. While you're turning and getting rest, uh, you know, nestled into that chapter, uh, let me briefly give you an introduction. Um, <clears throat> you know, how, first, let me ask you, how many of you have, you have a, a dog and it's very special to you? Would you raise your hand if you have a dog and it's very special? Raise your hand. All right. Okay, that's about half the audience. You know, I've been meeting a lot of people who, I mean, their dogs are such an important part of their family. Um, I'm grateful to have, we don't have a dog. I, I chose to stay married versus having a dog. Uh, <clears throat> right, Caroline? Yes, she's right. She kind of gave me the option and I said, no, I didn't, I didn't think about it. I said, shoot, shoot. And uh, just that quick. And, uh, but no, I, it's funny. Every now and then we'll like try to kind of, you know, maybe. And yeah, just what she did. <laughs> it's not happening. So, but we, we have a dog two doors down that Mike and Micah Griffith have. It's, his name is Maddie. And it, it's awesome when they bring the dog over. And she doesn't mind that at all. Glorianne loves Maddie. Like, I mean, when Maddie comes in the house, her energy and excitement, she's, she's just running around everywhere. She's so happy to see everybody. And Glorianne just gets so happy when Maddie comes over. Dogs have such a positive attitude. They are so enthusiastic, you know. And to be around them sometimes, you know, I heard a quote, a quote recently, and here it is. The more I get to know people, the more I like my dog. Isn't it true, though, that most of our problems we deal with in life are people problems? True or false? True. It's, it just, it's just true. Problems that we cause, problems that they cause, or a combination of the two. I mean, let's just establish this right off the bat. Two facts real quickly. First of all, if you could remove all of the people problems from our lives, life would be much easier. That's a fact. No misunderstandings, no harsh demands, no intense requests by others, no fights, no complaints or criticisms, absolutely nothing. Now, here's fact number two. That's never going to happen, okay? So with that, we live in a world of sinful people. And the solution of eliminating people problems is is not the goal. It's not eliminating them. It's conquering them. And and here's the thing, in Mark chapter 3, we're going to learn about that. And what's so beautiful about our series over the next several months is we are looking at the life of Christ through the lens of of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And, And we're focused on his life. What did Jesus do about that? That was an interesting response that Jesus gave there. That's amazing how how Jesus said that or didn't say anything. It's so cool. And so the series is all about growing in the likeness of Christ. If we could get back to that, just that picture there uh, where it says a fresh look at our example, Jesus from the gospel of Mark. That's the goal. We want to take a fresh look at the life of Jesus. And so every week we're, we're focusing in on the things he experienced, the parables he gave, the responses he gave. Last week, we looked at how he responded to the Pharisees and and how we can just get a fresh look at Jesus in 
in those situations. And so today, we're going to do that in Mark chapter 3 when it comes to people problems. We're going to see there were three different stories in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, all of them dealing with people, and each one of them presenting a problem. All right? So let's dive in here. Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. Look at it. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to see. Now that should catch our attention right there. I mean, right from the outset, the reason he withdrew is because of the first problem, the first people problem. And I want you to write this down. The first people problem is busyness. That's the first problem. Notice here it says that a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea. He could not get away. It says that he withdrew with his disciples, but even though he withdrew, still a great crowd followed him. Verse 8, and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. So he tells his disciples, Jesus told his disciples, get a boat ready. Get a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. I mean, Jesus' life was in danger. This is a chaotic situation. Why the pressure? Why the intensity? We'll look at the next verse. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. The word had gotten out that Jesus was healing people. And can you imagine the pressure that was being put on Christ? So many of these folks who were pressing in and crushing him and trying to get to him uh, to be healed were folks that had uh, diseases that they knew of others who had died from the same thing they had. They knew in their mind their only hope was to get to Christ. It's a very chaotic, intense scene here. You know, if if, if we were honest, we would have to maybe admit that we could be very judgmental of Jesus right now. We could be. We could say, you know what, wait a minute. Jesus just needs to get a grip. People need help, okay, preacher? And I mean, I know he's helping a lot of people, but there's more people that need to be helped. So he needs to suck it up and get back out there and get the job done. Why is he trying to get out of there? Unless we get too judgmental, those of us who are honest would have to admit that we often feel that way. We often feel the same way. I mean, life can present sometimes so much busyness that we can almost feel as if we just can't do it anymore. We have to get away. The demands of life, the demands of people, family, friends, bosses, all of it. And here's the danger. And I'll give you danger for each one. The danger in this busyness problem is the word distraction. Remember this, good things are the enemy of the excellent thing. My problem is I do a lot of good things, church. I enjoy doing a lot of good things. My life seems to be full oftentimes. Uh, Have you ever been this way? Have you ever gone through a day, had the most important thing on your schedule that needed to be accomplished, but by the end of the day, you looked back on everything you did, a lot of good things, but you didn't get that thing done. That still was left undone. The the thing that you really set out to do that day never got done, not because you were doing bad things. You were doing good things, but not the excellent thing. 
So the question then comes, what is the excellent thing? Well, we learn that in, in Luke chapter number 10, verse 38, where there's this story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. And the Bible says, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And there was a woman in that village by the name of Martha, and she welcomed him into her house. And he, he, she had a sister named Mary. And Mary, as soon as Jesus got to the house, she just sat at his feet and worshiped. I mean, she just listened to him teach. Verse 40. Martha, she got, there's that word, distracted. She got distracted with much serving, good things. She was doing good things. And so she went up to the Lord and she said, Lord, this is quite the response. But she gets up right in his face and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? What an accusation. And then he goes on to say, tell her then to help me. Tell her to get off her, you know, and get in here and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 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 Martha. Eric, 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 Eric. You don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. Eric, you're anxious. Eric, you're troubled over many good things. But one thing is necessary. Only one thing, Eric, is the excellent thing. And that's what Mary's chosen. She's chosen that. And it not be taken away from her. The excellent thing. To sit at the feet of Jesus. To spend time with him. To learn from him. To pray to him. To feed on his word. To walk with him. That's the excellent thing. And the danger in this life is that good things often distract us from the excellent thing. Now here's the issue. The issue that we struggle with to get to the excellent thing is time. That's the issue. There's never enough time. But this week, this past week, and God allowed me in his, you know, just in his providence, if you will, he allowed me to have a week in the middle of nowhere. I was asked to preach this year at at the Fort Bluff camp again for the, I think, the 13th consecutive year to teenagers. I don't know how this keeps happening, but, they, they, you know, the older I get, they, they keep asking me to come back. And I didn't think they would have one this year because of the virus, but they were able, you know, to abide by the guidelines in Tennessee and be able to have 50% of their capacity. And Craig Connor, uh, Kevin and Paula's son, I, they needed a director, and I asked Craig if he would consider it, and he said yes, and so he's just doing a phenomenal job up there. In four, it was kind of almost like a gospel light camp this week, to be honest. Joe was there with me. Zoe was there with me. Jerry was there with me. I get in the middle of the woods, and I'm going to tell you, man, I needed it. I had so much time to get in the Word. Joe and I would drive back and forth. I'd stay purposely. I did, didn't used to do this. I used to stay on, on campus, but I think that's, I've kind of decided, okay, 55-year-olds can stay off campus if, if they want, you know. I've not outgrown camp. I've just outgrown like cabins, okay? Is that okay? And so I, I stay a little bit, yeah, you know, a nicer, nicer place just, just to, and it's really working for me. So Joe and I would have a lot of bonding time together and we would, we talked for hours about life. It was just good. I love all my children, but I don't get to spend one-on-one time with all of them all the time. And so Tiffany was kind enough to say, Joe, you know, 
go with your dad, enjoy the week. She kind of took care of the kids and the responsibilities, so Joe and I, and Joe represented the college. That's really why he went, is to promote champion, but also I got the benefit of just having a lot of time with, with, uh, with Joe, and then Joe and Jerry actually stayed on, on the campus. So I get to the room, and every day I would get to the room, Joe would get in the bed, and he would, he would you know, make, call Tiffany, mess around a little bit, do a few things, work. He had his computer out, but I would get on the couch, and I'd have my Bible open and my study books open. Man, I just get in the word. It's been so long. It's been so long since I've had 30 hours in one week just to get in the word. I love being busy. I love the ministry. I love all the things that I do here. I really do. That's probably my biggest problem is I actually love to be busy and I love a to-do list and I love a long list of things to do and I love it when Carrie says, you got a busy day. I mean, that's kind of like, that just gets me. I mean, that's like it, drugs to me. You know, I'm like, I, you know, if I'm not busy, I'm not, you know, sorry for using that illustration, but act like I've done it before, you know. But anyway, but I do love it. Every now and then I do something really stupid like that, but anyway. But this week, man, God let me choose the excellent thing. And I wrote, they told me what the theme was. I said, I'm going to preach the theme. So I wrote eight sermons this week in my, in my room. I pre- every sermon I preached this week at the camp was a brand new sermon. And to God be the glory, we had 21 kids saved this week. Five called to preach. I got a letter from a mother the next day who said her son has decided to come to champion. And we had an atheist young man, 19 years of age, that was a counselor, came down. I don't know how he was a counselor. <laughs> but true story, it was... You know, we, we kind of laugh, and I, may, you know, I said it to where you would laugh, but in all honesty, think about it. We're living in some very tough times, and I mean, honestly, sometimes I, I trust the judgment of a pastor when he's trying to reach somebody. This young man came down the aisle on Monday night, took me by the hand, and said, I just want you to know I don't believe in what you're teaching and what you're saying, but I'm going to give you a fair chance to speak this week to my heart, and, and I'll just sit and listen. Thursday night, he came down the aisle weeping. His name was Eric. Same as me. And he got on his face before God and just, I mean, cried out to God for salvation. Actually, I said, do you mind? I don't want to, you know, force you, but would you mind standing up in front of the camp and just kind of professing Christ as your Savior? And let, could, could we share that? He goes, of course. Why not? Gets on the pl- I mean, revival broke out Thursday night. I so desperately needed that to see God work. And and I'm just simply saying, church, listen, we need this. We need to make time for small group. If you're not in a small group, this is not a a correction. uh, This is not some kind of a hard part of the message. It really isn't. This is a loving part of the message. You need to be in community with believers in God's word, studying and talking and sharing and crying and weeping together at the feet of Jesus. We need to be in church. Yes, we need to be in devotions with our families. We need to have a 15-minute quiet time every day if possible. You say, well, that's a lot. Uh, you know, those are things that, that, that just kind of don't ever get time in my life. Exactly, but that's the excellent thing. And I know there's good things. And I know we're busy doing good things. So what's the action here? What do we learn from Christ? How do we grow in the likeness of Christ? What did Jesus do here? Well, the action is to avoid. Avoid the busyness. Walk away. Walk away. And notice here, we don't find Jesus confronting these people whom he didn't help. 
He didn't walk up to somebody who was saying, you know, I'm next in line. I want to be healed. He didn't say, well, look, you're going to have to get an appointment tomorrow. I'm just, I'm out of here. I just can't talk anymore. I'm very tired. I'm too busy. And, but here, here's a list of tomorrow's schedule. He didn't do that. He just walked away. He just knew I've got to get away. I've, I've got to restore my soul. You can't meet every need. Listen, with every opportunity to serve, it's not God saying, do that. I'm always careful with new members as they come to member orientation to make sure they know that it's exciting. We're glad to have you. We're presenting a lot of opportunity to you, but take your time. Take your time. We always tell our new members the most important thing for you to do is a small group before anything. Make sure you're connected. Make sure you're taking time. and Just sit in the services for a while and, and, and get to know people because I've seen so many believers get burned out doing good things. And they do and they serve and they jump in. But at the end of the day, listen, I know we want to serve others, but we can't help more people than what is reasonable. We can't. Someone told me years ago, there's only one Savior and you're not it. And I needed to hear that. So what did Jesus do? Well, he did what Mark chapter 3 verse 7 says. He withdrew. He walked away. How often in scripture do you see the words, and Jesus went to a solitary place? How often in the Bible do you see that Jesus went to the other side? There were people that needed help. There were more people that he could have healed. There were more people that needed him, but he had to avoid it and choose the excellent. And all over his ministry, he would come to that place and he would simply avoid, walk away. Problem, busyness, danger, distraction, issue, time, action, avoid. But you know, there's some people problems we just can't avoid, right? They're just, they're too intense. The pain is too much. The danger is just too high. I can't avoid this one. So people problem number two is called betrayal. And let's see it in the life of Christ. The problem is betrayal. It's much bigger than busyness. It's not something we can avoid. Look at it in Scripture. Mark chapter 3, it says here, And he went up to the mountain and called him to those and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. It's interesting how he did that. He just came up to a mountain, and it's, it, it almost as if he just said, Okay, I'll take you and you, and let's see, I'll take you. I mean, there's a lot of people there, but he chose these 12, it says. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might spend, uh, send them to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, Andrew, verse 18, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. Now look who gets a whole verse all by himself. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Wow. Let's take just a moment and look at the basic facts of this betrayal. First of all, it was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It happened suddenly. It actually happened while Jesus was speaking. He was Betrayed. It was initiated by the chief priest and the Pharisees and the, and the council there. It was carried out by Judas Iscariot, who was actually one of the twelve 
whom Jesus had chosen. It was a formal betrayal. It was initiated with a, with a kiss. It was a deliberate betrayal. He received 30 pieces of silver for actually carrying this betrayal out. And you may ask, you know, this is, this is interesting. I mean, Jesus actually chose him. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. Yes, he did. And I, I, I think there are several things I could say here, but I want to focus on this one thing, and that is this, that Jesus understands the pain of betrayal. He gets it. And so maybe there are some here today who there's been some things said about you that just aren't true. Maybe there's someone sitting here today who would say, yeah, I get it. I, 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 there's been some things that have been done to me. Maybe somebody you loved and trusted in your life did something very horrific to you. Last week, last month, maybe, maybe several years ago. And you've been betrayed. And what happens is, is we can quite easily say right now that, well, yeah, I get it. Okay, Jesus was betrayed, but I've been betrayed, and mine was worse, and I've been betrayed many more times than just that. Well, wait a minute. So was Jesus betrayed all the time. In fact, look at the next verse, the very next verse. I don't even have to say, let's go look somewhere else. The very next verse, verse 20, he went home. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. More busyness, just more busyness. And when his family heard it, his family, they went out to seize him for they were saying his family, those who knew him best said this, Jesus, you're out of your mind. Betrayed by his own family, his neighbors, his aunts, his uncles, his best customers at the carpenter shop. This was a painful thing for Jesus. And the danger of betrayal is this, that you would become discouraged. Discouraged. A lot of discouraged people because of betrayal. And here's what they say because I hear them say it. When you've been one place for 28 years and you have walked alongside people who have been betrayed and maybe you've been betrayed or I've been betrayed, here is what we hear. I can't take it anymore. In fact, I won't take it anymore. I'm not going to trust people anymore. I'm building walls up. No one will ever do that to me again. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. I'm just going to be a distant person. I might be lonely, but I won't be hurt ever again. And we begin to get discouraged. And we handle our people problems by eliminating people. We just push people away. So what's the issue? Well, here's the issue. The issue is trust. It's trust. And because when something comes into our lives that you and I didn't see coming, the question is this, are we going to be willing to trust God? So when difficulties come, and they will, and when circumstances come, and they will come into our lives, the key that unlocks the door of victory is, God, I trust you. I trust you, God. And so what happens is we find ourselves on our knees before God on a daily basis maybe. And we just look up into the heavens and, man, listen, this isn't a long prayer. This isn't a drawn-out prayer. This isn't an eloquent prayer. It's just, God, I'm hurt. I feel betrayed. But you know what? I'm going to trust you. I know you know what's best. I know you felt this pain before. And I trust you, God. You're going to walk with me in the valley of the shadow of death.
and I'm not going to fear the evil. That's what it boils down to. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, it is not to be imagined that the God who has been so faithful to me in the last six trials that I've gone through will now abandon me on the seventh. God will never abandon you. And because God will not abandon you, you must trust him. We must. We must speak those words. God, I trust you. So what did Jesus do? What did he do? Well, we know what he did. We, we can see what he did when it came to the busyness he, the action was to avoid. But what did he do when it came to betrayal? It was very clear what he did. In this particular situation, the action was to absorb. He took it. In all the Gospels, with all the attacks on his character and conduct, Jesus simply moved on. Not one time do you see Jesus say something like, hey, Judas, come here. Come here, Judas. Listen, um, they offering you 30. I'll offer you 60. Just don't go through with it. We never see Jesus giving a rebuttal ever to the times that they, 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 they attacked him. What did Jesus do at the Last Supper? Do you remember the Last Supper? What did he do there? He said this. First of all, he said, one of you is going to betray me. Remember that? And all of them said, no, not me, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. And then he said this, it's, it's the one who's, who's dipping the bread right now. And there was Judas. Hey, Judas. Whatever you do, go ahead and do it quickly. He absorbed it. No rebuttal. He just absorbed it. In fact, I don't think you could find one single time in the Gospels when Christ offered a rebuttal when he was attacked personally. Absolutely never. They called him a drunkard. They called him a wine-bibber. They called him a friend of sinners. They accused him of immorality with other women. But he was on a mission. He had a plan from God. He was there to do his father's business, and he gave no rebuttal. He just absorbed it and went back to work. Think of all the time we waste. Think of all the time we waste in our lives trying to convince others that we're we're different than they think we are. I remember when we were going through a transition, and I was, you know, I remember, not not everybody was here, but there was a time in our ministry where we were trying to make some changes, and some of the things that I was hearing was I was a liberal, I was an apostate, I was, you know, I was a devil, I was not saved. I mean, it was some pretty tough stuff back in the day, just... I know you can't believe that, but it was just the nature of the beast. I was in a battle with people. And people can be cruel sometimes. And that's, back then social media wasn't all that popular, but I'll be honest with you. I learned then not to respond to a lot of social media. I learned back then not to respond to a lot of emails. I learned I don't need to give a rebuttal what I need to do is go love somebody, go help somebody. The best way to answer your critics is to accomplish your cause. We've got way too many people answering their critics with this versus just doing the right thing. Do the right thing. The way that we can change this world is just love everybody. Like deeply love everybody. The poor, the rich. 
Love people. Doesn't matter where they're from, who they are. Just love them like Jesus loved them. That's what we need. That was the action. But here's the deal. I know that sometimes the problem is just way too significant to absorb. It's too big. This is, it's just massive. And I understand there are some people here today that that's just not going to be possible for you to just absorb the betrayal that you went through. And that brings us to the third story. Because the third problem is blasphemy. Busyness. Betrayal. But then blasphemy. This is another level. Look at verse number 22 of Mark chapter 3. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. Wow, that's quite the statement, isn't it? I mean, this is overboard. I mean, you've got these people now calling Jesus Satan. In fact, notice he did not avoid this. And he did not absorb this. (laughs) He challenged their logic. They said he's possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons because he cast out demons. So he calls them. I love this. He just says, you know what? We're not messing around with this one. Let's get our game face on. You've crossed a line. We're going to argue for a minute here. He calls them in and he says to this, how can Satan cast out Satan? Duh. So, so I'm, I'm Satan and I'm casting out Satan. Makes no sense. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, think about it, gentlemen. That house is not able to stand. And if Satan rise up against himself, what you're saying is happening he can't stand but is coming to an end and then he gives this parable and he says no one can enter into a strong man's house he's referring to that Beelzebul word there again where it actually means the master's house and he refers to that by simply saying that no man's able to enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds that strong man Then indeed he may plunder his house. But here's what I was getting to. Here it is. Here's the truth. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven of the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. In fact, some translations actually there have... Maybe these words, the unpardonable sin. I've had actually people in 28 years of pastoring in one place, and maybe you've had friends or folks that have approached you and said, you know, what do you think the unpardonable sin is? And do you think I've committed it? And do you know somebody who has committed it? And it seems that people are just afraid, possibly, that they have somehow committed or could commit or would commit this unpardonable sin. He says here very clearly that the only sin that cannot be forgiven is to blaspheme or reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So you can blaspheme the Father and still be forgiven. You can blaspheme Jesus. People do all the time. And you can still be forgiven. But you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit and be forgiven. It's an amazing statement. Well, first of all, let's eliminate this. He's not talking about this one-time incident that you can identify that... A voice came from heaven and said, that was it on July 22nd, 
at that moment when you said this particular thing or you walked out of that church service, that was the moment that it's not one particular thing. Remember the scripture, John 6 and 44, where he said that no one can come to the Father unless he's been drawn. Is that on the screen? There it is. No one can be drawn unless the Spirit draws him, the Father draws him. No one can be saved. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and, and church, you can reject that. You can. And some of you have and are. The fact of the matter is Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood so that you could be saved. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He lives forevermore. He's coming back very soon for his children. And he wants to save you today. And you can reject that. You can reject that. There are those who have rejected God. And they've rejected God over and over again. But you can reject God to the point where God is not going to speak to you anymore. He's not going to work in your life anymore. We read in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 that the Spirit will not always strive or work or abide in man forever. I have no idea when you have crossed that line where God's Spirit ceases to strive. What I do know is the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some of you count slowness. But thank God for this. Aren't you glad he's long-suffering? I'm glad he is. I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel. I rejected it. I clearly walked out of the building and knew that I needed to be saved but said no. Clearly, I remember that. But he was patient toward me. He was not wishing for me to perish, but that I should come to repentance. I think it's very important for us to also remember what Scripture says in Psalm chapter 95 and verse 7 and and, and verse 8, where it says, today if you hear his voice, like today, like right now, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been saved, today if you hear his voice, if he's drawing you to himself, and I believe that he is this morning as we sit here in this building with another opportunity for you to be saved, harden not your hearts. Maybe you've heard the gospel many times, but you've never opened your heart. Maybe you've said, well, someday I will. Maybe next, maybe next time, maybe next year. Well, don't assume that you'll always have another opportunity. So how do you know if you've committed this unpardonable sin? Well, it was J.C. Ryle, who is a Bible commentator, who said this, and I love this quote. He says, those who are most concerned about having committed the unpardonable sin are most likely, unlikely to have committed it. So just let that sink in for a moment. It's the calloused, cold-hearted, I-could-care-less person that should be very concerned today. So the problem is blasphemy, but wait a minute. I don't think I'm talking, you know, I look at Zoe and Chloe and Tiff and the Sims and others in the building and Mike here and Vince. I mean, I, I don't think I'm dealing with folks that are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I think I'm probably dealing with a lot of folks here today, maybe the vast majority, who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we experience is not the danger of us blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but we experience the, the danger of living in a world that's blaspheming God. Amen. 
I mean, we are living in a day unlike any other day. And so the danger here is destruction. Destruction. What do you do when you're faced with this? What what do you do? I mean, the the truth of the matter is, is we talked about this in the 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that there would come a day when to say you're a Christ follower could potentially cost you your life or put you in prison in America. I mean, we're, we're, we're being labeled as crazies, as weirdos, as people who are just, you know, just to say you follow Christ. Some of the things that come after that are, are and I'm not here to, to politicize this moment at all. I'm going to let you just fill in the blanks because I don't think I have to do that. I think you understand we are in a very volatile world when it comes to being a Christ follower. God works through people like you and me. So what do we do? Just shut up, don't say anything, live scared lives, hunker down. I mean, the message is being silenced, church, and that's very significant in the last days. So what's the issue? Here's the issue. It's not contemporary Christian music. It's not pants and dresses. It's not the version of the Bible. It's not the color of the carpet. It's not the lights or it's truth. The issue is truth. Christ did not let this go unchallenged. And that's something to get fired up about. The whole reason Jesus said what he did is because they were challenging his identity. I mean, they said in verse 30, he has an unclean spirit. They were attacking the source of his message and he took a stand. And I've often wondered, when do you take a stand? But I think I can learn from Jesus and I can grow in my likeness of Christ and easily come to this conclusion that you take a stand when the issue is truth. That's when you stand. Christ didn't defend himself, but he did defend his message and his ministry. And so the problem was blasphemy and the danger was destruction and the issue was truth and the action was attack. He was aggressive. That may seem harsh. I get it. But if you read the New Testament, you can't miss the fact that when Jesus was intense, you can't miss the fact, if you read it, when Paul was intense, it was always about the truth. Galatians 1.8 says, And even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. How strong is that? That's pretty intense. In our own lives, it's very similar. What people think of us is is not very important. But what they think of Christ and the gospel is eternally important. And it's something we should take a stand for. I don't know what that's going to look like for you and for me, but I'm, 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 I'm willing to be aggressive for the truth. Amen. I'm not going to water down the truth at gospel light if it means handcuff me and throw me in jail. I'm not going to, and I'm not insinuating that's going to happen anytime soon or ever. But if it did, and I'm standing for the truth, so be it. 
By the way, there's been a much higher price that people have paid through the centuries than some of the things that we've experienced in this country, even as of late, for the truth. So let's review in closing. This is heavy, isn't it? A lot of stuff. I mean, it's, in fact, it's so much stuff, it's hard to sometimes put it all together. So here's a quick review. Three different kinds of people problems. The first one, it's a big one. All of us are there, I'm sure. If we're not, we probably need to get closer to being busy than being lazy, right? So if you're experiencing this busyness, it's a problem. You've got too much going on. The danger is this. Don't get distracted. Uh, not, do, not, not doing good things, but avoiding the excellent thing. The issue is time. We've got to make time. And the action is this. We just got to walk away. The problem, number two, is betrayal. And people are going to turn on you. They're going to do it. It's just, it, it happens. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. And the danger is that we would be discouraged. So what's the issue? The issue is, do we really trust God? And the action is, we got to absorb it. Even Paul said, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. And then the third thing is more intense. It's the problem of blasphemy. Attacking God's truth. And the danger is destruction because the issue is truth. And so therefore the action is to attack or to be aggressive or to take a stand. So I know that's a lot. I know that's like, wow, preacher, could you put that on a card and laminate it? Let me look at it for a while. Well, let's do this. I could do that, but let's do this. You've got small groups to kind of take some time on that. Let me do this. Let me do what, what I did. And that is I just read the rest of the chapter and it helped me. The rest of the chapter is my closing comments. Let's pull it all together with this very last section. And I want you to mark this down. I want you to maximize your focus on doing God's will. Look at it here in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 in closing. Scripture says here, I love this, and his mother and his brothers came. They were standing outside. So picture now, mothers and brothers standing outside. Why? Why were they standing outside? Because there was too many people in the house to get in. There he is, busy again. It just happens over and over and over again. My family and I are taking a little vacation after church today, and I'm excited about it. And it's the hardest thing for me to do to leave town. It's crazy. I was trying to put a message on my phone last night at the house. And I was like practicing, writing it out. No, that sounds too, no, that's, no, then somebody won't call me if I say that. Well, then they won't, then they'll think I'm, you say, preacher, just get out of town. It's, it's easier said than done. I, I, I love you so much. I don't want you to think that I'm not accessible, but but yet I don't want to really be accessible. Am I making any sense? Do I sound cruel? If I do, that's what I'm trying not to sound like. And so I, I haven't left the message yet because I can't figure out a good way to do it. The truth of the matter is, is you just find yourself in these situations all the time. And here Jesus is again, house is full. And a crowd was sitting around him and because his family couldn't get in the house, somebody gets word from the outside of the house, psst, psst, tell Jesus his family's out there. Your mothers and brothers are outside. Now listen to this very, it seems a bit cold. Who are my mothers and my brothers? Wow. He's not saying he doesn't love his mom or his brothers. In fact, remember at the cross when Jesus took time to say, John, take care. 
loved his mother. He loved his brothers. What this is, church, is an issue of comparison. And he looks in verse 34 around about those who sat, and he says, Here are my mothers and my brothers. You see, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother. He is my sister. Or she is my sister. She is my mother. Here's the point. Jesus wasn't minimizing these human relationships. He was maximizing his focus on God's will. Because that's the most important thing. And that is the way to solve all of your people problems. It's not what does he want? What does she want? What do they want? That's exhausting. The way to get through it is not to say, well, they're just not important because people are important. They are very important. But the way to get through it is not to reduce your focus on people. It's to maximize your focus on God. What is God's heart? Well, what does God want in my life? And that last passage encourages me. It ties it all together. It does. Listen, if I will put my focus, if you will put your focus and your attention on the will of God and serving God, then all your people problems are going to fall right into place. Amen. It doesn't eliminate them. It just helps you get through them. And you're able to live with whatever happens because you know, you know. trusting him. I really can't help it. How all this, I, re- I really can't, can't, can't make sense of the problems. I just know that God is pleased if I'm maximizing my focus on him. And so church, I'm just asking you to join me, if you would, in attempting to become more like Jesus when it comes to dealing with these people not going anywhere we live in a world of sinful pastors sinful church members and sinful lost people amen we're going to have to deal with it but we got a way to deal with it with, with, with this chapter amen let's bow for prayer shall we father I love you and I thank you for the people of gospel life it's an amazing church it's an amazing people I love this ministry it's busy it's busy We have a school, we have a church, we have a college, we have a youth conference, we have a coffee shop, we have a large campus. It's amazing. I love it. I love to be busy. But God, I confess to you that I'm spending too much time doing good things and too little time doing the most excellent thing. I tend to be more like Martha than Mary. And God, I need your help. And if there's anybody under the sound of my voice struggling with the same thing, Father, may we come to you and confess, please, God, slow us down. Help us to make a better choice every day. Father, those that have been betrayed like myself at times in life, oh, God, may we respond with this. I trust you. I trust you, God. I've been hurt. I've had things said about me that have not been true. I've had people walk away from my life who I love. I've had people hurt me. And there's people in this room that could say that probably times 10. But God, today, we trust you. And then God, in those moments 
where we need to take a stand. Lord, I've never seen, I've never seen it like this before. Your name is being blasphemed everywhere. It seems as if the enemy is convincing so many that you're Satan, that, 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 that you're evil. And God, we know the truth, your love. We know what your word says. We know it's made a difference in our lives. Oh, God, thank you for that young man who got saved Thursday night, who saw the love of God and made a choice to not blaspheme anymore. God, may we live our lives in such a way that we would not be afraid to stand for the truth if it cost us our lives. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to deal with our people problems by focusing on the will of God. God, I pray that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that needs to be saved today, that they would feel the Spirit at this moment drawing them to your Son, Jesus, and they would be saved today. Bless this response time. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand for a moment?